0: Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi published author and CEO and founder of Right Way.
1: And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk.
0: So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way.
1: This is a Soulfire production. Hey guys, welcome back to the Right Way Podcast, our second episode of the month of September. Thank God it's fall. Um and we have some really 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 tight content for you today. Um uh I think uh hopefully many of our listeners know that uh Ria launched uh, had a book launch last month and she did a number of virtual um post-COVID no, mid-COVID no, post-COVID uh, I mean. virtual events. God, bring the post wishful, COVID. Wishful um, did a number of uh, of virtual events, including moderating um, uh, some interesting panels. And this this one in particular, uh, one one panel she moderated, you moderated, Ria. You found to be you even for you who you know a a, a multi published author, you found to be really. Uh, informative and kind of awakening for you.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the, the panel was basically how to become a New York Times bestselling author. But my takeaway really was, oh, these are lessons from New York Times bestselling authors, which I really wanted to share with you today. I mean, this was a paid event, but the information was so invaluable that I really wanted to do a podcast episode around it because I feel like as authors or aspiring authors, it's the thing that we reach for. It's the dangly little carrot that seems out of reach. Like if you're not a New York Times bestselling author, then you've never really made it. You're never really going to be seen as seriously as you could be. It's the thing and the stamp of approval that matters. And after I got done with this panel, I had such a different perspective on everything and what I'm really reaching for. Like, yes, I'm considered like a best-selling author. I'm not a New York Times bestselling author. So in a way, it feels like, oh, well, I'm I'm not really I'm not really a legitimate author. And now I kind of feel differently after just this one conversation. So I really wanted to share this info today. The the panelists were so varied and different. Um, one was her name is Timby Locke. And she wrote a nonfiction book, which is beautifully written. Uh, one woman was named Judith Warner. And her first bestseller happened, I think, in the 90s. Um, and then Christina Schwartz, who is also a nonfiction author. So th- she so had three
1: New York Times bestselling authors on the panel.
0: Yes. And one was Christina so. Schwartz, I think, was a number one New York Times best-selling Whoa. author, which, you know, is so hard <laughs> to hit. So
1: uh, I'm just curious. It, it Was there a... Like a sort of blanket, like one sort of, you uni- know, like uniform experience for all three of them, no, like across the not panel. At all. That was like, they were, they huh. were
0: also varied and different, but what I thought was so interesting is all of them not only never thought about becoming a New York times bestselling author, it wasn't even in the realm of possibility. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like that's all I think about, you know, is one day hitting this, like, I feel like I, I focused so much on the outcome and the results instead of just the work. And it really was so amazing and illuminating to realize these three amazing accomplished women didn't even have it in their thought process of, of actually having this happen. It wasn't what they were going for or reaching for striving for. And I find that so refreshing, but also so amazing when they got into their experience, so I wanted to talk about just some overall takeaways that do improve your chances of becoming a New York Times bestselling oh, really? so
1: so so some legitimate. Yes, like, there are
0: some things yeah. that that will help. Right. Like again, it's it's all kind of you know up to chance and certain things hitting at certain times. But you know, all three of them wrote about either controversial topics, divisive divisive topics, or one had a biography of Hillary Clinton. So. You know, well that yeah, taking yeah, yeah, like sure. a very popular concept um or subject matter and selling that. Like sometimes when you can come up with something that is quite unique or you're hitting at the right time, especially with nonfiction, I feel like if you ride that wave of of writing about something, um, one of the the authors, Judas said, you know, in terms of nonfiction, if you surf the zeitgeist at just the right moment or on just the right subject, sometimes magic will happen and you can hit that list or sell. But then
1: you got to like, but then, then it does, there is something about that. That's interesting because then it does come down to execution. Of like course. If you can trap, if you can bottle that, like the, like the currency of timeliness, then you got you you gotta like churn out that fucking book, man. Absolutely.
0: And I mean a lot of times Expeditiously. when it's nonfiction, you know, you're creating that proposal. So they haven't written the book yet. They're they're delivering the promise of this juicy, amazing book. But yeah, then you have the pressure <laughs> of delivering it. Um, I think for all three of these writers, they had a very strong in-house team that pushed their books and that really, you know, were their biggest champions and biggest advocates. And, you know, that doesn't always happen. I mean, hopefully your team is going to be really pushing your book, but you've got to remember any publisher, whether big or small, has various projects that are publishing at various times throughout the year. And unless you are that lead title or, you know, you're going to make a splash or you've got a huge book deal. Sometimes you don't get the attention that you wish you had. Um, and, mm. and sometimes, you know, that in-house team help and the in-house attention really will make a difference for how your book is received in the public eye and, and who's even getting it in the first place.
1: It's, it's similar. Like I do feel like, um, uh, you know, especially like in, in LA, uh, with, uh, you know, making certain lists or nominations or it is all about, I mean, there's such a huge part of it is who you've got keeping you up, like the the, the support you've got behind you. That's such a a big
0: thing. And I think that's why a lot of people hire outside help um, because they know that in-house teams are strapped for time and attention. And so they hire an outside publicist or media coach or someone who is going to have all eyes on them and really push them in their book. Um, so that definitely helps, but what I, what I thought, and I've always known, but two of these writers landed on Oprah's book club and then Reese Witherspoon's book club and Timby Locke, who I just like totally fell in love with on our call. She's like Reese Witherspoon is the reason (laughs) my book became a New York times bestseller. And for so many writers, they know that. I mean, if you, if you land a huge book club like that, if you get on a massive roundup on a cover of, you know, one of them was on the cover of the New York Times book review or had like some sort of huge magazine coverage, then the chances are, yes, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people are going to be not only seeing your book, but being urged to buy it because it's been endorsed by a celebrity. And that is the single quickest way, I think, in this day and age specifically to become a bestselling author, specifically a New York Times bestselling author, is to have that endorsement. And, you know, they're there. And
1: the question there how, becomes right? like, how the it, hell do it, exactly. you get So lists? it's yeah.
0: again, it's all like chance. So my books have been sent not to Oprah's book club, but Teresa's in, in order to hit a book club editors, your editors or in-house team just, they send the books. They send, I mean, these, these book clubs get thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of books. And no one really knows how books are chosen. I mean, it's, I don't think it's just one person being like, we'll go with this one. Um, I think it really does depend on what's going on in the world, what they're wanting to showcase. Um, and, It's kind of luck of the draw, honestly. Like, I don't think any of these authors knew that that was going to happen. One of them was talking about when Oprah picks your book, you have to talk to her on the phone. So she got to talk to Oprah on the phone, which is amazing. I would have passed out. (laughs) And I mean, that's just, it takes you just to a whole different stratosphere. And and that was- So it's like getting
1: on one of those lists. It's interesting because- you know, we, we see all, it's all this, it's always the same process. It's yep. like when your manuscript, when your book, when something crosses the desk, it's gotta like, wow, it's almost like the right kind of eyes have to fall on the thing and they have to read it. And the, you know, the wheels are in motion. It's uh, it's, it really is like roll a bit of roll in the dice. Oh, a
0: hundred percent. I mean,
1: I mean, you gotta have the dice to roll, but of it is still a roll of the dice. But
0: it's so, so interesting how some books hit and some books don't. And, I remember with Gillian Flynn, you know, who wrote Gone Girl, which was huge, but, you know, she didn't get so sharp objects, which was one of her. I don't know if that was her debut or her first book, you know, that turned into a series and that did not get optioned until way after the fact that she'd been published. And then Gone Girl became an instant bestseller. And then I think they went back and looked at everything. So that's another way that your older books or, you know, a debut or whatever. can.
1: I mean, that happens consistently, especially with, uh, with, with options and adaptation. Like, so, I mean, if, if, you know, if an author hits later, uh, and they have previous titles guaranteed that every previous title they have is going to get, scooped up or, or, or bought.
0: absolutely. And I mean, it, it's cool too, because then it doesn't put such a finite timeline or a stamp of like, it's got to happen now, or it's never going to happen. Or
1: the time is has, has passed yeah. at
0: any time. I mean, you know, I, you don't want to miss, miss the boat. I think with as writers, you know, we're like, Oh my God, this is, you know, I've got like six weeks to make a splash with my book and then the world's going to forget about it. But When you write a book, it's somewhat evergreen in nature where you can then promote it forever. I mean, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. So there is time. And I think we put such pressure on ourselves for everything to happen right in the moment instead of just, you know, we kind of I mean, again, it's I hate to say it's up to chance, but the biggest takeaway from all of these ladies was that it was 100 percent based entirely on luck and how much luck (laughs) plays into this and having the right book at the right time and the right people grab it. And that was such an immense relief to hear because, you know, there are several people or several authors, numerous authors that, by their way, onto these lists can, you know, purchase hundreds of thousands of copies of their own book or there, there are all kinds of hacks in order to hit a list, but to organically... Hit it, it's luck. I mean, that's I, uh, I was such an. It kind of recuses thing. you. Yeah.
1: The lesson there is it kind of recuses you from putting any of your energy or attention into pursuing that as as an end goal. I think it reminds me of you know we ha- we were having a conversation a few episodes ago about uh, about um, you know adaptation and option right. and that kind of thing and that like when an author writes and publishes a book and is hoping for that big movie deal. Or that that the movie based on the book, like don't think about the movie based on the book. If your book gets optioned, that's the success. Like don't you yes. know, don't start yeah, don't start putting all your eggs in that other yeah. Basket. And Timby
0: Locke, I loved what she said when I interviewed her. She was like, you know, I I was she was just happy to be in the arena. She was like, if five people read my book, I was overjoyed, and I was like, wow, what a beautiful, refreshing. Way to look at it. I'm sure that's why her book's been so successful, because she's was not only so humble, but just so appreciative that her book was chosen by Reese's Book Club, that it's made such an impact and such a splash. And I think as writers, it's hard to just have gratitude for getting the agent, for getting the book deal, for having your book published, for it sitting on a shelf, because we just in this society are always trained to want more and to not... Be proud of what we've accomplished. It's this weird, I don't know, it's just this weird thing where we want to be humble, but like we also need to sit with our successes. And we've talked about that a little bit, but it's so fucking hard to just be proud of yourself and to sit still for a second before you're immediately on to the next thing.
1: That's, I love that you said that because I do think, and I've seen this, uh, uh, seen this play out in real time with, uh, you know, people that I know that are, uh, trying to, uh, work their way up the ladder in, in the, in the movie industry or the T or TV or whatever. It's, it's like, we never, I, and I'm not saying that you have to like get to a tier and, and settle. And I'm saying that, yeah, give your second, give yourself a second to enjoy what you've earned. Uh, And the success that you've earned instead of the moment you get like you're not happy with any level of success because you're always just looking at the next next step above.
0: Yeah. And one of the writers that I interviewed, Judith Warner, she was talking about it was the day before publication and like everybody had picked up her book. And, you know, it was going to be um I mean, it was a New York Times bestseller, but like, oh, I don't I don't remember if her book had been picked by Oprah, but like all of these successes were about to hit and her whole life was about to change. And her agent was like, this is the moment that you enjoy the anticipation of it, because the reality for her afterwards, all of these beautiful doors open, like she got a column and I think a radio show and her career exploded seemingly overnight. And then this was back, like, I think when the recession hit, She lost her radio show. I think she might have lost her column as well. And she said there was this moment where she felt like she realized everyone saw her for the fraud that she was and that she had this crazy imposter syndrome and that it had all these beautiful doors open and then they were all slammed shut. And she and, and that's the thing. When you hit that, when you get to that pinnacle of success, you see it with freaking actors. You see it with writers. There is nowhere to go but down. You are open to more criticism when you are on that bigger scale. And there's just, it's farther to fall. And
1: well, and how many writers, how many authors out there who've published and have seen success from that one publication become, get, uh, get like performance anxiety oh. and don't, don't have the balls to follow well, up.
0: Or, you know, when your second book, cause it's so hard to hit that again. Like, you know, several of them have had two, two books that have been New York times bestsellers, maybe out of like five or six or seven or whatever, but you're automatically expected to hit that same level every time. Yes. So of course it's performance anxiety and, I just think it's a whole lot of pressure if that is what you are hinging your success on. And all three of them kept talking about just like, keep your head down and keep yeah. working and write better books because
1: great advice. When you do,
0: yeah. When you, Judith was saying, when you strive for those external validators, you don't have resilience. If you were basing If you're valuing yourself on your external wins and what the world thinks of you when everything falls apart, which it could. And for her, it did. If you don't have resilience, then you're done. And I will say, like my daughter, ironically, was just asking my husband's reading a book called The Art of Resilience about (laughs) this incredible guy who like swam across the coast of It's either the coast of England or I mean, it was just something ungodly like that I've never heard of. And he wasn't even a swimmer. And he just decided, like, I'm going to go swim, you know, for thousands of miles. And my, my daughter was like, what's resilience? And we were trying to explain it to her. And I feel like that's one thing that I have always had in my life is is being resilient and getting used to just massive disappointment and going forward anyway for the love of the thing and not the result or the outcome. And, and that's in any artistic like outlet. That's huge. I think you have to have that kind of resilience. And I think
1: the the combination there, the resilience, but also I love that piece of advice. Keep your head down and keep working. It's like never look to the top of the nope. mountain to see how far you have to go. Just keep looking at, just take one step, just take each step, take each day. And I think it's great advice also to just focus on writing better books because if you hit that kind of success with one and you go into the second looking to recreate the success you're not going to focus on the quality of the nope. book you're going to you're going to tr- you're going to put all your focus on what effect you think that book is you want that book to completely.
0: have completely and the only thing you can control i've been told this by my editor i've heard it a million times but the only thing you can control is The work is your writing. It's not how it's received. It's not if you get a massive fat book deal. It's not if it gets universally reviewed and loved and adored or if you get a movie deal or whatever, or if it just tanks like that's not really what it's about. And it's tough, though, because a couple of these writers started like back in the 90s and writing was a very different world. It was easier to make a living. You got actually Hmm. paid like in, you know, one or two lump sums, So you could take the time to write the book. And now with, you know, your, your advances being smaller, your advances being split up into three payments, sometimes four payments, and then all of the other shit you're expected to do as a writer. There's so little focus on the writing. There's so little time to do the thing that you're supposed to be doing. And it's the single biggest gripe I hear. It's just like, I don't, have the un or, or the focused time, the distraction free time to be a writer, I'm expected to constantly be on social, to constantly be advocating for other writers, to constantly be doing events, to be in the public eye, to keep making all of this noise when that's not what we're supposed to do. Like writing, yeah. <laughs> you need time. You need time to process. You need time alone. You need time away from just sometimes I'll get on Instagram seriously, like as appreciative as I am. And I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Like I'm sitting here, like scrolling and commenting and saying thanks. Like I spent my entire launch day, literally my entire launch day of my book on social media, saying thank you to writers who were, or readers who were congratulating me or posting, which is amazing. It's how the world works now, but it's, Every single element of this detracts from bettering yourself at your skill, at your craft. And it's kind of this vicious cycle where we really don't have time to be better writers because we're too busy fielding all of these like the commentary and worrying about our sales and and what we're doing or not doing, especially in this virtual world that we're in. So it's a challenge, I think.
1: It's hard to even just live life. God, <laughs> is it in ever in the social in the social media universe? Let alone then also having to uh, do it while you're cultivating a career. And and we said we've said this before on this podcast. Also, uh, I think there's nothing more important, uh, nothing more critical than community. You talk about author platform all the time. It is substantially important, but you know when you when you read. <laughs> When you read like and I, you know, I, I'm I work in marketing also. And when you read about how brands and individuals who are brands have to engage, the level of oh engagement, gosh. the output that they have to, it's
0: exhausting um,
1: on social media. It's just like they're talking about like you've got to make sure that you tweet oh twenty to thirty times nope. a day, and I'm like, I. I tweet uh, three times and I'm wife. Well,
0: I mean, out. and I've, I I constantly feel, so I'm like, okay, at the end of my life, when I look back and I add up, if I had a calculator and I could add up the amount of hours of my one precious life that I have spent talking to people that I don't even really know. Again, I'm so grateful for, but instead of my family, the spending time in my own world or head, like it's, it's baffling to me. And I feel like it's going to be a big regret of a lot of people. Like, I don't know, every time I go to post anything and I'm like, who cares? Like who, why am I watching? (laughs) Why is anybody watching my world? And why am I watching anybody else? Just focus on, I I don't know. I just, I feel like it's, it's very dangerous. It can be very dangerous. And I always fantasize like, God, if I ever... (laughs) hit it big or got to the point where I wanted to, I would immediately just not become a recluse. But I, I feel like there is an element of privacy that is such a luxury these days that I crave. Like I love I really actually do love privacy. And I think having a child makes me a little bit more protective of that as well. But, you know, I love doing the podcast. I love Writing, I love receiving emails or sending out a newsletter, but when it comes to posting a selfie or like, you know, just constantly having to come up with content about my book or just anything, it's, it's exhausting. And I mean, it's, it's such a fragmented way to spend your time. And I feel like with any business, any art, any company, that's just another added like element. That is keeping us so distracted instead of just like, I mean, I, I get so envious of authors. There's one guy named Cal Newport. I've spoken of him before, but he's a bestselling author, New York Times bestselling author, and he is not on social media. He doesn't even have an email address and he's unreachable. Awesome. And I'm like fucking yes. Like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you play that game? That's
1: the level of success I want. Me
0: too. That's what I'm saying. I fantasize about like, I don't even even want to
1: have a phone I don't
0: either. I don't want to have a phone. I mean, (laughs) no. reach me by carrier pigeon. Send me a handwritten letter. Like (laughs) I want to be unreachable or just reachable to people. That's why I crave community so much, but like in the real world of just, really connecting with people and not having to, I don't know, like you remember when we used to take pictures just to like take pictures to then go print them yeah. out. And
1: yeah. we didn't even know yeah. what
0: we were going to, how the pictures were going to turn out because, you know, you don't know what the role of film that you took. Like I, I just, that kind of waiting and anticipation, we just don't have it anymore. And I, right. I don't know. I just I'm sorry. Or so old and
1: this comes up a lot like and this is a total side note and I know we Yeah, we're, we're, off we're, a, we're, we're, we're off on a <laughs> tangent. Sorry. We're off on a tangent. Um this hap this happens sometimes. Um it's like the idea of you like you said anticipation. Do you remember what it was like to like think of a question or like a like something you didn't know and then having to not oh. know it until you could go oh like look god. it up? Oh my
0: god. I miss that all the time. And I actually, if I ever have a question, I don't immediately go to Google. Like my my daughter asks questions all the time. And I'm like, yeah, use that thing between your ears and like go like sit outside and think about things. It, it is baffling to me and really scary how impatient and unwilling children even are to to sit and be bored and think and ponder because they don't have to. I remember like, you know, passing a boy a note on a Friday and then having to wait, you know, those excruciating two days until Monday to re- like, or if you missed a phone call at home on your landline, yeah, you were fucked. Yeah. Like you, you just had to, to wait. And I just, it's,
1: it's such a, well, and it's interesting, like this whole deal, the whole digital uh, realm, it's like capable of absolute good and absolute evil, because I think about how we've been hamstrung. In quarantine, and how, in a way, that shit has saved us just a little of bit. Of course, yeah. Like just a little bit. It's so wild to think of how of of the spectrum of shit that internet, social media, how, uh, how much that it's capable. But of. It's truly, but capable. I
0: mean, imagine going through this quarantine without the constant blast of conflicting news constantly being on social media and watching everybody else's stuff and hearing it's just so much noise like what would we have done with our time i mean yeah it would have been isolating and and really hard but at the same time it's still a form of distraction it's always a form of distraction yeah. yes it's a form of connection but you know that's all to say and to bring it back around to this like can you be a New York Times bestselling author? Can you be at the pinnacle of success without playing the game that everybody else plays with the the rules of engagement and having to be someone having to have this massive author platform? And these three ladies, they don't have a big digital footprint and they're fucking successful. They're rocking it. And I, I just think that we get into like, Nope, it has to be this way. And there's only one way to right. do it. But I think you can find ways that feel really good for you. It's your life. Uh, if you're not focused on the outcome so much, don't say yes to things that don't, don't feel great to you. And, and, and being able to focus on the work. And, um, I think that's what we've got well, to get back
1: to. What I hear in these takeaways also is, you know, drop the ego and focus on the work. We
0: talk about egos. It's so hard. I mean, it's because that's what we're judged. That's what we're judged by is how successful we are. hundred percent.
1: But, but you know, even like looking at episode notes and hearing you talk about what, what, what you heard at this panel is like, yeah, that's the only, that really will save you. Yep. If you can do that, if you can somehow like hone the spear, so, or, or like put blinders on and just, Just focus on that. Then you're, it sounds like you're kind of golden and not, and, and that you, you, and if you don't see, yeah, I think, which is reassuring to me because I think that that's what we really want to do. We want to really focus on the work, but we are we get so caught up in all this other shit. Well, and
0: I think we get caught up, especially with the outcome or the results of of your sales and your numbers, because that dictates if you get another contract or not. And
1: yeah, you know, yeah. so
0: it's this really like kind of tricky area because if your book doesn't perform well, then the likelihood of you getting another book deal or another book deal is it gets slimmer and slimmer. And but right. yet then you know, you're, if you're not getting the support that you need and the push that you need from your team, then it's kind of, I mean, it's very unfair to you. And I think that's why a lot of people do turn to self-publishing because they just want to focus on the story and the work and get their work out there, but not have to deal with all of the, the BS that sometimes comes with I mean, the industry.
1: To each his own. It makes sense. Yeah, like, absolutely. But uh, well, that is like supremely informative. I am going to just check, make a check by everything on that list. And in six months time, I think you will probably see me on the New York Times. That's Best right.
0: Totally. Six months. I mean, <laughs> why not? I mean, and, you know, that's, that's the thing. I know that if and when that that happens for me, it's not going to change anything. I think it'll happen when I'm ready. I i mean, I the only reason I ever really want that, it's not for money. It's not for anything. It's just for having more readers playing on a on a bigger stage and actually showing up because i know that i'm i'm capable and i'm able um but there is something beautiful in in striving for it i've always i always like actually trying to prove something more than than getting there surpassing it i say it all the time it's just a hitting that pinnacle of success it's a moment that's it's not your career Here.
1: And so that you can one day not have an email
0: address. Oh, my God. That's what I'm really after is (laughs) I have four email addresses, people. And I'm just like, I don't even want to. This is ridiculous. Like I took, but I did take email off my phone. It has completely changed my life. I want to take social media off there as well. um, Once I get past like more of the launch and. Then I won't even use my phone. I'll just leave it in a drawer. Oh God, that sounds sounds amazing. amazing. Then
1: it's just a piece of hardware. Just a piece
0: of hardware. Yep, that's it. Incapable of yeah. anything.
1: <laughs> you could throw it if someone tried to like steal your your handbag. Oh, or something. oh I, I throw it. At I them sometimes
0: fantasize it. about like, oh, my phone was stolen or left like, and just having to <laughs> deal. You know, like having to navigate directions and I not be it. reachable. So.
1: Anyway. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week uh, with a brand new episode. Um, If you haven't already, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast episode, please subscribe to us. And uh, if you could rate and review the episode, we would super appreciate it. Also, if there's anything that uh, we haven't talked about yet that you would like to hear, um, you can uh, submit that as a, a comment as well, or you can email us You can find all of our contacts at uh, rightwaycode.com. Thanks,
0: guys. Until next time.